Welcome to The Growth Show with Matt Lindsay, where we discuss growth strategies both for business and a personal perspective, discussing all kinds of businesses, growth strategies, technology, investment strategy, and much more. We are meeting with entrepreneurs, investors, app developers, and property developers. Our vision is to help 10,000 business owners grow their businesses. Introducing our host, Matt Lindsay. Matt is a former banker and corporate financier. He now spends his time building his own companies organically and through acquisition, as well as raising capital for other businesses. Matt works with a wide variety of entrepreneurs and investors. Welcome, Mr. Stephen Page of Startup Funding Club, or SFC Capital now, you're, you're now called as well. Yeah. Yep. Um, so yeah, welcome along to the, um, it was originally called the Matt Lindsay Business Growth Show, but I've just changed it to the Growth Show because I think there's more to be said around not just business, but general growth in terms of people's health and so on and so forth. So yeah, the idea is to get lots of guests along and hopefully yeah inspire people to make a bit of a difference in their lives and maybe start that business that they've been thinking about um and that's that's why i thought you'd be an appropriate guest so um here you are let's have a chat um so by by way of background for our viewers and listeners and however whatever formats people might be consuming this information um stephen and i have known each other for probably eight or nine years is that yeah right? it must be now right. yeah um and so this is this is back in the day when i was um running around raising capital for uh funds so raising investment for eis funds and all that fun stuff um stephen and uh his uh, partner at that time john approached me with a a new new uh seis fund so it's the seed enterprise investment scheme fund um called startup funding club um, and from memory, we raised, it was about 600, 700 grand, wasn't it for the, for the first one? Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, so you've, you've obviously subsequently more than that in total, I think it was more than that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Good. Um, and you've obviously subsequently taken that business forward. Um, and I, I know that actually some of the companies we raise money for, particularly on Fido are, are doing very well. They're integrated in all kinds of things now. Um, but yeah, so I, th I thought it'd be useful for our listeners to kind of learn a little bit about your background and experience, um, which I know was in, in uh, uh, software and so on and so forth. Um, and then, yeah, bringing, bringing it forward to, um, you know, launching Startup Funding Club, where you are today. Um, obviously, we used to share an office, so we knew each other fairly well at that time. Um, and I attended lots of your events at Home House and other private members clubs across across central London. Um, and, you know, it's, it's fair to say multi award winning team. You've won lots of lots of awards. Have so, been. yes, real, 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 really nice to see um, see you guys prosper, because I think, you know, the, the fund industry, there's some bastards in there, isn't there? Let's be honest. Yes. Um, and I think you know the way that you guys approach it is a bit more pleasant than some of the some of the competitors out there, without naming names. Um, so yeah, I think it's kind of a bit of a, a light, light, refreshing breath of fresh air to you know see see people that are approaching it. You know, it's still a business, and you're still looking to make money out of these things. But I think there's a bit more kind of love and care for the companies that you've that you've invested into. Um, so yeah, I've said a lot already. So, um, but if we could start with a bit of your your kind of history and yeah. your background and how you came to get to where you are, that'd be a really good, really good starting point. So, thanks, Matt. And uh, as you say, we've known each other for eight or nine years, and um, it's been a very interesting time for SFC in that period, which I'll, I'll talk a bit about later. But a little bit about me personally to start with. So when I, I, did, I didn't go to university, I left school at 18, I had some A-levels, I went into accountancy, went and um, did articles for certified accountant, didn't finish it because I got itchy feet, uh, I wasn't particularly suited to just uh, taking becoming a boring accountant, so 
an opportunity came up. It was quite, I think one of the things in life that I've learned is you have to, you're, you have to watch for opportunities. And um, a couple of things happened to me in my early 20s that sort of led me on to being something I didn't think I would be, which was an entrepreneur. And um, one was meeting a guy. I went and did the accounts for a road haulage company, small, but this guy was a real Jack the Lad guy from the East End. And he drove a Rolls Royce and had, you know, 10, 20 lorries delivering stuff. And, um, but he was really entrepreneurial. And a key turning point for me was when he said, and I was 23 or something, he said, come, come, come to London with me. So I went to London with him and uh, he uh, went to Savile Row and he was a real East End guy. I mean, he was sort of a big East End guy. And we went into one of the tailors there and he got a handmade suit for himself. And I'm just sitting there waiting like a little, little child on the seat. And he said, come here. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And she said, get yourself a suit. So I had a handmade suit at the age of 23 or 24. And um, I'll never forget, it was such a change. It was, uh, I'd never, you know, I mean, I, I didn't believe that I could be in that sort of world. And uh, I come from a very modest, but loving family, but not, not at all um, moneyed, very poor really, in any, any real sense. So that was the first thing. And then that sort of opened my eyes up to some of the things that are possible. Just that one event, never to be forgotten. And then I went and um, that said to me, don't, you don't need to go and work for a big company. Go and try and work for a small company. And so I, I joined a, a, another a person who became my mentor in life. And one of the things I would always say to people is, find people who can be your mentors, people who are not going to be competitive to you, but can really help you grow. And this guy um, was a chartered accountant and he was looking for someone to become his, he was a one man band really. And uh, he, he was looking for someone to be his computer or data processing manager. I'd never touched the computer. I didn't know anything about computers or anything, but I thought this is interesting. I'll go and see what it is. And I met him in a pub. He interviewed me in the pub and um, he had extremely well-spoken public school background, you know, beyond like um, Rees-Mogg, this sort of accent. <laughs> and um, I thought, oh my God, what is this, you know? But cut long story short, he employed me as his sort of junior partner in a very literally a tiny little chartered accountancy firm. And um, so that was like 1978 or 79. And so I did that. And then I, I went to the, you know, I then went to his office in Ilford, Ilford, Essex. And um, when I when I got there, he was away. And I thought, geez, what's this about? And he was away on a month's holiday sailing in the Mediterranean. I thought, that's nice. So he's just left me. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell do I do? So I was a sort of thrown in at the deep end and they were delivering, in those days you'd send computer stuff away and it would come back on big printouts and things. And I had never dealt with this before, but so I had to learn very quickly what to do with these four clients, you know, so there was a number of clients and we had this stuff. So that was 19, that was, and then what happened was the real, the microcomputer as it was called in those days, started to emerge and um, he was quite entrepreneurial as a person and I was starting I was getting quite you know interested in doing something and he'd been very kind to me and he was such a good person for me and um, one day we said well why don't we import one of these new microcomputers from California so I'd have forgotten if it was my idea, idea or his and we anyway we imported a box this size in California and three three thousand pounds it was did nothing I mean it, you wouldn't even get it on your phone anything now it's like uh, a phone is a hundred times more powerful than that big box but that sort of started 
an entrepreneurial career really because although we didn't do anything specifically in hardware that led us to think well we've got this big box what are we going to do with it so the only thing we could think well we have to be accountants let's design some accounting software so we got we hired a programmer and uh, started to build some accounting software i went out and sold this to uh, some clients and it was crap the software but that's a detail <laughs> British Beef was the first major client. And I'll never forget, we used to go, I used to go to Smithfield Market first thing in the morning. And they were, you know, all the traders were there. They, they were in the pubs mainly. But British Beef was the, was using our software to for accounting, which was in 1980-81. Quite incredible. And we sold some of this rubbish. It was really not very good software, but there was nothing else about. So we were first in the market, one of the first in the market. And um, then uh, following that, we then realized that, oh my God, that, you know, we're not gonna be able to compete because by then Sage had come out and um, some others like that were just starting to come through and they'd put a lot of money into it. And so we thought we need to f find a way to get out of this. So I came up again serendipitously. I met a guy who ran another software company. So my company was called Business Solutions. His company was called Sapphire Systems. And he had financial modeling software. So cut that quickly. We merged the two companies. So we actually had two products that were not very good. <laughs> they were neither of them very good because it was early 80s and most software wasn't. So, but then we put them together and now we had 10 people, 12 people, and we then went out and got 150 grand funding. Oh, wow. I, I, I didn't know that. So you, you went and yeah. raised capital. Went and raised capital from a private individual, actually. Right. Okay. And, um, but then we realized that, as I say, our financial modeling software was before that you, before spreadsheets. Right. How you used to do your financial forecasting stuff. So it was pretty old fashioned, but it was good stuff, but it was. And we sold bucket loads of it to computer hardware companies who okay. were bundling software all the time. There was hundreds of computer hardware companies in those days. But then Lotus One Two Three came out, and that market went. Our accounting market had dropped anyway, so we found ourselves without a product. And ten or twelve people, this guy had invested. We thought, bloody hell, we need to do something quickly. So me and this guy went off to Comdex in Atlanta, Georgia, thinking we've got to find some something. We didn't know what, because we, you know, again, it was purely opportunistic. And but we knew that, you know, they're talking about this thing called a database software or something like that. Let's try and find something like that. So we went to um, this, this big show, massive show with all these old rank Xerox and people like that were the big players in those days, NCR. And right at the back of the show, a tiny little one man booth was this company called Data Ease, And they had a product they'd just literally that at the show launched. Right. And we looked at this piece of software and we thought, wow, that's, that's nice. We then um, on a flop, they gave us a floppy disk. So we went back and had a look at it. I mean, it was, the number of bugs in it was more bugs than has ever been created. It was <laughs> fell over all over the place. Nevertheless, it had something about it. And opportunistically, me and this guy, Trevor, we said, well, we need to secure the rights to this to UK. Otherwise, someone else will get it. I mean, they've only just launched it. They're not funded yet, which they weren't. And um, so we then borrowed 50 grand on our credit cards because we'd run out of money in the company we borrowed the 50k from the they wanted fifty thousand dollars up front to secure the rights to the uk right which was pretty um a lot of money mm. and um so we took a big risk and borrowed that money you know having we'd have to repay it very soon um and we put a down payment we put the 50 grand down and we got the exclusive rights to data ease for the uk Okay. We then launched that. We've got these 15 people. Luckily, we've still got some money. We've not got any revenues at the time. So we carried on till the end. 2013, uh, 
1983. And um, by the end of that year, we, we because it was so buggy, we couldn't sell any. Right. But we had a great team. And this is a big, big, this is the biggest thing I've learned in business. If you don't have a good team, great team, you will fail. What we had done, because of the experience we had with the accounting software and the financial modeling software, we had a great team. We'd got really sales-centric people. So we had top salesmen. We had 12 or 15 people. Most, let's say half or a third of them were sales and marketing. And really gearing up to launch this product, which we didn't, we've only just learned about how it, what is it really? But we launched it in January 84, and straight away, because we'd sort of build up some momentum straight away from a zero standing. We did quarter of a million pound in the first year, 750,000 second year, two and a half million in the third year, maybe seven, six or seven million in the fourth year. Wow. Okay. And we're really, this is really now doing this. Yeah. And we're starting to ramp up. We've, we've obviously got ourselves a real winner, but we didn't own it. Right. So this was the big problem. So how the hell are we going to sort that out? At the same time, we'd been, we also took on a, a, another accounting product. So what we'd learned was if we can't build it ourselves, let's take it on, take on another product and release that. Yeah. So we took on a product called Sun Account, which was a great, really big, quite a big accounting system, not Sage level, but higher. And we became the distributor for it. Okay. And we also found that that was doing that. So we started to build two teams, one on accounting, one on database, and we started to make money. And so 88, I got into acquisition mode, 1988, 1989, 1990, bought seven companies. Oh, wow. Okay. Each one cost us about half a million in cash, roughly. Yeah. Um, because we were making, by the late 80s, we were making a couple of million a year profit. And so I could go out and buy all this. Most of it was rubbish, but you know, these companies. And so we were expanding like this, but we, and I remember going to the stock stock exchange in 89 and saying, right, we're ready to go public. We've got oh, 20 million in revenue. Yeah. A couple of million in profits. If we don't in, in, before acquisition. And they said, uh, well, look, all of your profits really are coming from data ease, which was true. Probably half our revenues were coming from datories, and but most of our profit. Mm. We won't. We you can't go public unless you own the product. Right. Uh, so we couldn't go public. By then we'd raised some VC money also. Three Eyes, some others came in because we were a very hot company. And um, during all that, all that process, I was the CEO. We had others, you know, and we built up a very good team, really, really good team. And, uh, but we didn't own the software. So we, the American company that owned the software were not as successful. They, um, they uh, were jealous of us, despite we were paying them about half a million a month in royalties, but we were very self-sufficient. We, we made our own software. We were totally, and we'd also added other territories, Australia, Italy, other places we were now exclusive in. So we were very, very strong. They didn't like it. They were, they were sort of not very happy that we were so successful. <laughs> and I, so we started to talk about merging. Right. Because they owned the software, they said they wanted 60% of the merged company, we'd get 40%. I said, no way. We're the cash generator. We're the sales and marketing type company. We should put the two together at 50-50. Yeah. Took three years. Because right. they were so, and this is the biggest mistake ever made. It took three years to merge. It went through all sorts of, in the end, it was a legal battle and a shotgun wedding took place. And we ended up actually with the, with 55% and then 45. So it was a war, which it should never have been. And that is one of the biggest mistakes. But the biggest of all mistake, during that three years, Lotus, the one, two, three people offered to buy data ease. Right. We hadn't merged yet. The, the owners of data ease said, um, well, Lotus obviously knew we were the main player in data ease's 
book because we were selling so much of this stuff. They called us into their offices in Cambridge, Austin, and um, over this massive breakfast, 25, 30 people, all the hierarchy of Lotus, which was a big company then. Yeah. And they said, um, we're, we want, we're buying data ease. Um, we're not, but we would like you to be the distributor for, um, but not in the same terms you've got now, um, et cetera. To which I said, obviously, as you can imagine, well, we actually have, this is another lesson, by the way, we had a very strong, very, very, very strong distribution agreement yeah. with the date with, with the Americans. Because we were paying so much money, I tied them down to such a tight agreement, they couldn't breathe. So they could never give away the rights to certain places. The UK was a major market, Italy, Australia, uh, I think those were the three that we had. We also, uh, South Africa maybe. And um, they could never take our, Lotus could not acquire them without acquiring us. The Data Ease guys refused for that to happen. Lotus said, go away, with the, the, the acquisition is off, which was 60 million was the price. Right. 1990, 1991, which is probably, you know, a few hundred million now. And go away and get your act together and then we'll look again. We go away, we can't get our act together, we go to war, eventually we get our act together, but it's a year later, too late. What's happening now on the horizon? Next lesson, Microsoft is on the horizon saying we're going to take over the software industry. Right. They come out with a range of products that are actually in each category, ours spreadsheet, database, and word processor. At the time, we were dominant, we were the dominant player in the database. One, two, three in the spreadsheet and word perfect in the word processing world. Mm. Microsoft come out with the office suite and each one of those is facing Armageddon. Yeah. So we faced Armageddon, but luckily data ease had been used so much around the world. The long tail of data ease was 20 years. Oh, wow. Okay. 20 years of the long tail. It continued to be a good business for maybe five years after that and then tailed down. And it, I only sold it off a couple of years ago after 30 years. It became, we took it over completely eventually. I lived in the States, but it was not going to be an exit, unfortunately. So another lesson, exits come around, take it. <laughs> Don't let, you know, because they're very, very difficult to get. Yeah. And when they do come around, be careful not to miss it because you do not know what's around the corner. Our black swan, not the COVID one, but our one was Microsoft, because we didn't know. They, they were not necessarily going to be in that market, but behind the scenes, they were developing all this spreadsheet, word processor, database software. And it was a massive uh, hit to us in mid-90s. Maybe I'm going into too much detail, but it's no, it's no, no. It's interesting story, I think, isn't it? And I think yeah. there's a lot of lessons learned during that that period, you know. And then that long tail was managed. I carried on to manage that right through to recently, but at the same time, then we had to obviously get into other things, and those things included um, one nice little story in the period 2001 was 9/11. Right. In, I was in New York at the time and we had our office in New York and um, not in New York, in Connecticut. And 9-11 uh, was up to that period, the coroner's office in New York or the medical examiner, as they're called, they were managing their whole process using data ease, right. our software. And what happened was with 9-11 that all the rules of how of the, the model that they had changed because unpleasantly you didn't find what the coroner normally found was a complete body. With the 9-11, it wasn't. Yeah. It was thousands and thousands and thousands of body parts. So we had to, we went in there, we were called in the day after 9-11, literally. And uh, one of our guys who happened to be a Muslim bravely went to the office 
because it, you know this whole thing was coming out about um, Al Qaeda and that. Um, but he he was great, Naim. He went. He was the first in in because he was the looking after the software there, and that led to pretty much nine years building a system that was a new system to manage uh, the whole of an catastrophic event. Right. And it was called, we, it was changed from data ease. We changed it over to .NET, different language, completely different system that took a body part right through to the death certificate. And one of our guys, Adrian, he got the MBE because he was, people were coming from Britain to, you know, we were based in that unpleasant place where all these refrigerated uh, uh, trucks were with the body parts in and they were helping tag them up and everything. Right. So it was a real, really big project. By the end of the 90s, uh, 2000s, I sold that off. That, would, that had gone through our American subsidiary and because DataEase was coming down that side, we, um, I managed to sell off that company, the American company, to an Indian business owned by Moody's, the uh, ratings agency. Yeah. So that was great. So that was an exit. I had some, a couple of exits previously to that of selling off bits and pieces out of the Sapphire Dataries empire. Um, and uh, also during the 2000s, I got into offshore programming. We had an office in Russia, another great experience. We had, we're doing all sorts of projects in Russia. Cut a long story short then to the end of the 2000s, sold off the business, we closed our office in Russia after 10 years um, of building great software there. Great programmers. Anyone looking for top line programmers, first port of call is Eastern Europe, in my opinion. Um, then that leads us up to 2000, early 2010s. And now I am sitting with um, on another business called Ortegra, and we were doing web design in return for equity. Right. We then realized that actually what startups want, instead of us doing the work for them and getting equity, they prefer to have money. Yeah. You know, investment. So that's how Startup Funding Club started. Should we pause there or do you want me to now talk about Startup Funding Club? No, please. Yeah, carry on. With okay, that. so that's Startup funny. Funding Club came out of um, that requirement. Obviously, um, being an entrepreneur myself, I'm very keen on other companies. So that's how we started the thing. So it was called Startup Funding Club 2012, initially an angel group. So it was, I invited a few friends of mine to get involved and co-invest. Um, and we then started to do events. So pitching events, which are very popular now, but in those days, there weren't many. So we did a pitching event. We kicked off at Home House, as you mentioned earlier great club in um, near Marylebone, uh, near uh, Marble Arch. And um, at one of our first events, 2013, um, we put on a company called Onfido. Now Onfido, I had met in my travels in Oxford. I'd, I'd gone up to Oxford to look for startups and opportunities and met this company, which was these three young 20, 22, 23 year olds who'd started this company called, it, was, it wasn't called Onfido then. It was called um, something else to do with uh, verify checks or something. Yeah. And um, they, uh, so I said, come down to London. And uh, so they came down and we put them in our office. So the, initially just two or three of them were based in our office in King's Cross and we pitched them at the home house event and actually nobody was particularly interested, which I found amazing because I thought it was a great startup. One guy was interested and he went the whole process of talking to them and he was going to do a hundred thousand pounds, but backed off at the last minute because he thought it was a bit, you know, maybe far too risky. SEIS had come out. So, you know, not that risky. Um, so I thought, ah, oh, you know, we're not going to get any investment for this company. So I found, it took six months to find someone else. This is now mid to late autumn 2013. And this guy, Akash, who 
we'd met at Home House and was, was also was young, interested in investing, thought, okay, that's worth a punt. So actually he invested, I think 60K initially, I did 12 and a half, and uh, then he did more at a valuation of about 600,000. Okay. And that was, again, if you know, you, I think what was the biggest success we've had? Well, we can't beat that one, actually. That takes some beating because on Fido went from those two to three people have raised significant funding since, 200 million in funding. Wow. And is now the last valuation. I actually sold part of my shareholding. Yeah. Remember, I said 12,500, so it was, a sm- it was a small, I wish I'd done more, obviously, but <laughs> at 12,500, I sold like 5,000 pounds worth yeah. for 600,000. That's a good return on capital, isn't it? Wow. Not only that, let me point out the benefits of SCIS. That 5,000, I got half back from the government. So it was only two and a half. And secondly, and no capital gains tax. No capital gains. <laughs> that was about six months ago. I'm so excited putting six hundred thousand on my tax return. <laughs> Zero capital gains. SEIS, absolutely brilliant. And so that, you know, as a result of things like that, we then thought, let's do a fund. So I met John, as you as you know, and he said he would be the fund manager because I didn't know anything about fund management at the time. So we had John as fund management and uh, Startup Funding Club. We were going to go and find the deals and make the investments. So the first fund took place early 2014, as you know, and Matt was the, I think you did raise the large chunk of the money. Yeah. I think it was about a million we did raise. So you you probably raised the bulk of that. And um, that set us off on the road of being a fund. And um, we've been ever since then, um, and we are now to come up to date, if you like, because we've been doing SES, SEIS funds for since 2014, so seven years. Yeah. And every year has got more and more. And we ourselves got fund, became a fund manager in 2016. That meant that we could regulate our own activity. Uh, so we didn't have to, and then, so we moved on from the, the previous partner and, um, we are now the number one fund in the UK by quite a long shot for SEIS. And, um, we also became a partner of the British business bank in Q1 last year when they allocated 10 million to us to invest alongside our own funds. So where we are today, basically, we are the leading SEIS fund manager. We, we got that award two weeks ago, actually, from Growth Invest. Congratulations. The UK's leading SEIS fund manager. We, um, we invest in about 50 startups a year at the SEIS level. And we also invest, we also have an EIS fund, which is called a follow-on fund. So when we get in early with these companies and we've now invested in well over 200, we then can watch which ones are the stars. Yeah. And those ones, we will then follow up with an EI, with our investment through the EIS fund. Okay. So that's a really good um, uh, present, you know, for the investors, it makes a lot of sense because we can show that we know these companies and that, that they performed what they said they were going to perform when we invested at the SEIS level. So that's where we are today. We invest across all sectors. Yep. We've got, uh, you know, we've got some stars, obviously, on Fido way back. Cognizm, which is fantastic. That's uh, uh, a lead generation AI engine. They're like, uh, I think they're well over 100 million valuation now. Uh, Transend Packaging, which is a, They've got a massive facility, manufacturing facility down in Wales. They're doing um, paper straws for McDonald's and people like that, as well as doing PPE now for the, for the government. So they've really, they're a very, very big uh, success and many others as well. Interesting. So I, I guess one, one of the kind of purposes of establishing this, this um, audio or video 
is for uh, people, you know, we're in a, a what I consider to be probably the toughest economic cycle we'll probably find ourselves in with COVID, yeah. all the lockdowns, you know, the impact on the hospitality and leisure industry and so on and so forth. And clearly we're both at home when normally we'd be in, in offices somewhere. Yeah. Um, and so, I probably wouldn't have this uh, unshaven look, actually. I probably wouldn't have this hair either. So we're in, in, in the same boat there. So, um, but but I, I guess one of the things that I'm trying to achieve with this and you know, one of the drivers is for um, people that are, you know, either in employment or maybe unemployed or or have ideas and want to want to go and start on their entrepreneurial journey um what what's the what what's some of the advice and what are the some of the the things that you look for in the companies that you work with um and and also um a, just a bit about because i know that you you're on the board of some of these companies what's the kind of dynamics and characteristics that that you know is a success based upon your experience of the investments that you guys have made? Well, I think the, the on the first point, COVID for me, terrible, but it is a big opportunity for people. Yeah. In a way, they're forced to have a look at whether they can become their own bosses, entrepreneurs. Unfortunately, you know, very sadly, a lot of people have been made redundant, out of work, or they might be. You know, once furlough scheme finishes, it's a great time. It really is a great time to start your own business. And the opportunities are abundant, um, you know, and the funding is there. You know, what, what we found was last year we raised more money than by far than the previous year. You know, and one of our partners is Wealth Club. It's a great online um, platform. They raised 50% more last year than they did in 2020 than they did in 2019 mm. investors you know maybe because they're not spending on holidays or whatever you know they have a lot of money the, mm. the sort of angel investors and investors into funds are sitting on a lot of money at the moment they are looking to use that they're realizing that actually startups can be a great source of return albeit over a period of time but, you know, they had fantastic tax breaks on it with SEIS and EIS. And um, they, um, sorry, and they uh, realized that, you know, it's an alternative asset class that really does have legs. And so, you know, we've seen lots, you know, we've just, we know we're going to raise a lot of money by the end of the tax year. We're sitting on a lot now. We know that we will be doing between now and the 5th of April at least. 40 deals, you know, right. in the next three months. We know that, yeah. <laughs> you know, so a time for people to jump out of, you know, the malaise in a way of being in the corporate world. It's not, if you are, if you have any, if people have any inkling of being an entrepreneur, this is the great opportunity to be it. Now it won't, it's not easy. What do you do? You know, how do I become an entrepreneur? What do I, who do I, um, what do I, what actually is the idea? Well, look, Find other people, find other people who might have the ideas, find other people who are interested in, you know, in partnering up with people. You know, we will only, we tend now not to invest in single sole founders. We are really keen on teams. We've seen how the best group of people, the best um, investments normally are teams. You know, two, three people that start a company together that are in that together, that are motivated, motivate each other, share the load, etc. So if for people who are look are thinking about becoming their own business, starting up their own business, don't have to do it on their own. Go and there's lots and lots of networks out there, lots of online activity, lots of groups of people, lots of incubators, accelerators. It's a mm. fantastic system in the UK, actually. You know, the UK is very, very, very well geared up to the startup community. And so you might not have, you know, I'm talking to a potential entrepreneur, they might not have the idea yet, mm. but they, if they've got the demand, the desire yeah. and they've got some experience of something, you know, if they're typically, if they are, you know, particularly if they're, let's say a 40 year old, 50 year old who finds themselves out of a job, you know, you've got a lot of experience you might be able to use, mm. go and find 
one, one or two people that can team up with you. It won't be easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but that's how you do it. You don't just go and, oh, I haven't got an idea. I don't know what to do. How do I start? There's so much help online. Mm. But as I say, the best way is to find co-team members. And, you know, it comes to the second bit. What do we, we're looking, it's all about people. Yeah. Entrepreneurship, the startup world, who we invest in, the successful businesses. It's all about the people. And I know from my experience, you know, of 30, 40 years now, uh, it's about having the best people. So Startup Funding Club is successful because of the people we've got. Yeah. You know, again, early on, yes, I started it on my own, but I didn't, I couldn't have done it on my own by any means. And it really started to take off when we started to get the talent that we have now, mm. you know, five, six years ago. Angelica, then Joseph, then Rahala and Ed and the team and all of them. You know, we've got a great team now. And you, you've got to build a team. Anyone looking to set up a business, build a team of talent. Give them part of the company. Don't be too precious on the shareholding. You know, share it out a bit. Mm. You know, because otherwise, you, you, what's, what's the point of having 100% of something that's useless and doing nothing? Yeah. Have 50% and give 50% to, you know, in, employees, investors, or whatever it might be. Yeah. You know, if you start, or then, or start it off together and divide it up, you know, but it's all about people. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I, as you know, I'm a, a keen advocate of, of what you guys have done and you approach it in the, in my opinion, in the right way. I think, you know, there's, there's a bit of, bit of care there for, for the, the entrepreneurs. And yes. uh, yeah, as, as, as you alluded to, it's, you know, it, it, it's bloody hard, isn't it? You know, starting yeah. a company, um, you know, particularly if you're, you know, financially things are, things are difficult. It can very be, hard. it can be very painful, but if you if you can do that then yeah the re the rewards and and the opportunities you know are, are endless and i think one of one of the things that i've seen you know personally from some of the investments i've made and and also from um, some of the entrepreneurs that i know is that thing of pivoting and that that's yeah. kind of a buzzword from a couple of years ago isn't it where you know people come up with these ideas and then all of a sudden they just pivot and change direction and I think if you've got the right team and you, you, you've got the right approach, then you can always raise some capital and then change the direction to something yes. that might be more, more focused. Well, my, my own experience at the beginning, as I said, we were in um, uh, accounting software. We pivoted to modeling, financial modeling software. Mm. Then we pivoted to database software. Mm. We had three pivots in two or three years. On Fido, the great success, they pivoted when they when we invested in them way back seven years ago they did not have a platform they were very early but they were doing background checks on basically for recruitment right what really lifted them off was pivoting they actually got rid of that or they subcontracted that out and they pivoted to identity verification which is a very different thing so it's passports and online and you know so big pivot and that's what really triggered it so i totally agree pivoting is about that's why the team is the key talented people can almost do anything you know so pivot to pivot and keep pivot until you find the right thing to do so that's why we with seis for me seis is all about backing the team not the the idea you know all right it's got to be good enough but sometimes it's really we know that team will change that and come up with and end up somewhere probably very different because they're good. And so you back at the air, very early stage investing, you're backing the team and then you support them. Once you're an investor, we, I think sometimes investors can be antagonistic, questioning too hard, not supporting the team. We are completely the opposite. The minute we've invested, we've suddenly, as you know, we're sitting opposite the team before we invest. The minute we invest, we're over there next to the team, aren't we? Yeah. To support that team and do whatever it is, you know, whatever they need. I mean, we 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 can't get too involved. We don't know their industries, you know, because we invest in every industry. So we but we can introduce people, 
we can sit on the boards if we, you know, as certainly we attend as observers to most companies and just provide whatever introductions, whatever support, whatever positive, you know, helping them maybe to put their corporate governance in, you know, which is important for future rounds. So we're very much uh, very supportive. I think that's the key word. I, I think I liken it to accepting capital some, to someone is basically getting married to someone, isn't it? And yeah. you've got to be, you know, if, if you are looking to, to raise capital, you've got to be very careful about who you take money from because very. you can't get rid of them easily. And, and therefore you want that marriage to be, inverted commas, marriage to be with, with the right partner. Um, and, you know, investor, uh, startups, companies, it does surprise me. They don't do due diligence right. on the investors. They should. You're right. absolutely right. It is a it is a partnership that's created. Things change. The minute a startup takes in investment, they have more responsibility. They do have responsibility to that investor to try and return that investor's money plus, mm. you know, and they do have responsibility whatever they agreed with that investor. Some companies do not take that responsibility as strong as uh, in the same way that, that in the way they should. Mm. You know, others do. We have a vast, there's a vast array of different types of attitudes. And the yeah. ones, again, that make it, you know, get back to one feeder, which is for me, I, you could write a book about them. The attitude of the, of the CEO in particular was fantastic. He embraced advice. He embraced mentorship. He embraced getting as many good people involved as he could to help him. You know, there were more people at those early board meetings, more people from outside than employees. Right. You know, he just was so hungry for whatever tidbit of, of advice and help he could give. And that was fantastic. He was open to that, you know, and mm. what startups and entrepreneurs really need to be is open to take in. They don't have to listen, you know, take actually use it necessarily. Mm. They should be willing to take as much advice Get to know whoever the advisor is. Yeah. You know, sometimes it can be the wrong person. Be careful. Yeah. You know, they can get the wrong person and that's, then they're in deep trouble if they listen to that person. Because there's a lot of people out there who say they're advisors. Mm. You know, we see these people and yeah. they're not. You know that as, as well as I do. They're not advisors. They are just hanging on the coattails. But yeah. good advisors who are not there to rape and pillage the company, but there to help, you know, again, really important aspect of a startup to get those people in, get get advisors, mentors, you know, pick and choose, though, and do your work on who they are. Mm. Absolutely. Wise words. Um, and, and, and so what does the future hold for, for SFC Capital, as you're, you're now called? Yeah, well, you know, I think what we've also done, which I didn't mention, we've we um, when we became FCA regulated, in 2016, we um, we could then use that regulation for others outside yeah. of our own investment. So what we did was um, people we knew. So the first one we did was a was a friend of ours called John Spindler from Capital Enterprise, who's a great guy, and um, he had a fund called the AIC fund, and he had uh, he needed some. FCA regulation and some support and help on that. So we became the, he became an appointed representative of us. Yeah. And we helped him with that. And we've done now about six or seven of those since. And um, we're quite selective. They have to be SEIS, EIS funds, ideally. And they have to have some synergy with us. But, you know, we've just, great one, we've just uh, authorized just launched last night called the Green Angel Syndicate. Right. Very nice fund. It's all about climate change. And we're regulate, we're the fund manager for that. Um, and uh, we just acquired a fund called Earthworm, which um, sadly had gone into administration through some, because of some issues to do with uh, uh, their, the way they ran it. But we've acquired the, the fund itself, which is some great companies and the investor base uh, and the we're looking after the we will be looking after the investors interests in those companies which are all again in the climate change world right so all to do with you know water food energy 
and so on. So very nice, some very nice companies in that. So we've we've broadened out actually. We've got one half of us that's doing our own investments. Yeah. We're very, as I say, we've won the awards for all that, and we're doing all these investments into great new companies. And then the other half, we are helping others make investments. Sure. Regulating them and uh, providing that support to them. So you know, so that's really where we're going. We're going to make both of those bigger. So we're going to expand both of those activities. We we are hopefully going to continue as the top fund in the UK for SEIS in particular. We hope to do 100 SEIS investments a year. Okay. Which is pretty significant. Yeah. We also hope to expand our EIS fund yeah. to do more and more carry-ons. Potentially, we could do a third fund which takes it from there. So we have been looking at that. So, so as, as a kind of EIS series A, series A type. Series A. So yeah. that's that's something that's on the cards potentially. Yeah. Now, ideally, we would find a partner for that. Um, we have uh, we've got a strong relationships with Chinese, but we haven't been able to pursue that in the last year because of COVID. Mm. But we've got some great stuff going on there. Who might be the, you know, the, the lead investor there? But uh, uh, so we're looking to potentially do that, so we can take these companies all the way through. Yeah, you know, and maybe the same thing with you know our other our partners who have got invested at SEIS, they can come through the same thing. We partner up with these people and we do joint investments and so on. So yeah. we we'll get we will just get more and more of what we're doing and uh, be able to provide that whole solution to these companies for their life. That's that's the ideal, and get yeah. some great exits. Yeah, for the investors. Absolutely, absolutely. No, it's it, it, yeah, it's, it's 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 rewarding to see it coming out the other end because I know how hard it was, particularly yeah. the first couple of years getting that money through the door. You know, oh, I was doing the fundraising; yeah. it was bloody yeah, hard really, work. There was no, yeah. yeah, there was no, um, no, no. It's still difficult. It's still hard to do that for anyone. Yeah, you know, it's not easy to raise money, no. but I think because because of our track record now, and um, we're well known and so on, you know, it, it's that that works. That's much easier than it was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And is there, um, in, in terms of from a personal perspective as well, obviously you've had quite a lot of success in terms of your own businesses and yeah. building things through. And you, I know that you're on the board of lots of companies. Um, do you have a kind of a structure that you adopt in terms of, you know, disciplined start to the day or how, how do you kind of function and how do you work? What's your approach? I do, although I'm not a very disciplined person, but um, I'm quite a sort of flexible person. But I always start the day with yoga. Okay. And I always start the day, particularly with COVID, actually, the last nine months. So I'll do yoga and then I'll do either a jog or a walk. Okay. There's a park here. So before I eat breakfast is at least an hour, hour and a half. Yeah. So normally up at seven, seven thirty, and then I don't eat until breakfast until maybe nine. Healthy breakfast, porridge, or you know, granola, kefir, fruit, whatever. And then, um, then I'll do some work, calls mainly on bloody Zoom now, which I, you know, I'm so looking forward to. I'm not really a lover of Zoom or, but we have to. I'm so exactly. looking forward to actually face to face again. Yeah. So that would be nice. But then I'll be traveling. Obviously, you save, we've saved a lot of time because I used mm. to travel into London every day. But um, so I'll do a few hours, then I'll have uh, uh, late lunch, normally two o'clock, 2.30. I will uh, then do a bit more work in the afternoon. By about 6, 6.30, I'll do some more yoga potentially. Okay. Depends what I did in the morning. If I ran, if I did jogging, then I wouldn't do any more aerobic stuff i would do if i didn't if i didn't jog if i walked i'd do cycling i've yeah. got a peloton here okay which uh, i also invested some money on the stock market with and it's done well i was going to ask at the right time before covid or yeah no 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 after after i bought it right okay. it's still got up 30 percent, but uh, well, i'd yeah. love to but um <laughs> yeah and then you know it depends what, what what you know in the evening i will watch some tv about nine o'clock for an hour or two yeah but generally that's the day i mean it's we're all in such a routine day now aren't we it's 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 not very exciting in that sense 
Yeah, yeah. But, and I know, I know I know that your uh, wife is in Sri Lanka as well because you have yeah. some property interests over there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I guess yeah, must must you know we we touched on this briefly before we kind of came live and yeah, you explained it's been quite a tricky time from a personal perspective um, yes. during Christmas and stuff. Um, and and do you yeah. think that your kind of you know fairly disciplined routine in terms of exercise and yoga and all that stuff has kind of helped you to maintain your focus and stay positive throughout this without question the, the most important part of it yoga is great and is very important but the best part the most important thing i think for anyone you have to get outside mm. you know i know that sometimes if i miss that because it's non-stop zooms or whatever i'm getting really fuzzy and cloudy and down and you know it's not nice so you have to get outside and if you've got a park or something near you just you've got to get out there mm. you don't have to run but you can just walk briskly particularly in this when it's cold it's very very healthy for you mm. and you know that that clears the head it helps you it helps me significantly to do that you know it's you're right i mean i should be in sri lanka now so i was in i love sri lanka and uh, we made a big decision six years ago we used to go there. We went two or three years there and uh, bought some land. And um, about six years ago, on a, quite a spontaneous decision was made that Veronica would stay <laughs> and I would come back. So the idea was that she would live there and I would live here, but I would go there a lot and she would come here in, the, in our summer. Mm. Of course, it didn't quite work out like that. We ended up with um, quite, a, we bought quite a lot of, property and one is a, is a hotel down south it's not a, it's not a it's more like a small boutique but it's yeah. on the beach yeah so it's beautiful on the beach you know in the near you were near us actually well i was, I was just going to mention that so the irony was yeah. that we Stephen and i have a track record of bumping into each other at airports and we were actually on the same flight going out to sri lanka once That's weren't right. we yeah, and, exactly. and then, I, then I saw you at Heathrow when I got back from Thailand yeah, another but, time as well. No, yeah. <laughs> so we met, we had a drink at the um, at the hotel you were staying, which was a very nice hotel, very yeah, near. That was lovely, yeah. Much yeah. more prestigious. So we have, we have a tiny little place in comparison, but we've got some land on the beach, which is what it's... And for me, I would still maintain that regime there. I was used to... Get, but in there, you're running barefoot on the beach yeah. first thing in the morning, you know, I mean... I'm not sure there's anything better than that in life. No, it's such a beautiful place, isn't it? It's incredible. Yeah. So I haven't seen my wife since February and won't do now. I'm almost certain that um, we can't get out of the country and Sri Lanka has been closed mm. since March. So, you know, I won't see her probably, I don't know when. So we'll see. Yeah. So it's a bit, you know, it can get a bit lonely. I had a lonely Christmas and New Year, but, you know, you have to put it in perspective to what everyone else is going. Everybody's going through something, mm. you know. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, in terms of your, um, um, do, do you have any advice in terms of books to read or guidance or quotes that you like that kind of stuff? Mm. I, I used to read a lot of books, but you know, funny enough, I, I think a book, one of these books, it. You can almost summarize a book in very short. You know, you, you've got, let's say a book is 200, 300 pages. Most mm. of it is saying the same thing. Yeah. So I I find there's a thing called Blink List. It's Blinkist or Blink List. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, they summarize books. And I would say to someone, if you want to get tips and tricks, it's a great place to go. Go to Blinkist, Blinkist, I think. And um, there's lots and all the business books in the world are there. Mm. And you can just get the top 10 tips from each one or the summary of each chapter, which yeah. I think is enough. You don't need to, you know, these people are, they're, they're great. And sometimes it's worth reading, you know, about a biography of someone. Mm. But if they're general tips on running a business or that, you can, I think using something like Blinkist is, is, is the best way. Um, you, I used to, you know, I, I've got loads of books, but I got, again, I'm not, I'm not a massive fan of reading the whole book. You know, I try and pick bits out, you know. Do you use Audible at all? I ha uh, Yeah, Audible, yeah. And, uh, I have done. And uh, one of our companies, actually, that I invested in called Wireless Theatre. Right. Does productions for Audible. 
Oh, did they? Okay. And these are online theatre. Yeah. Fantastic, you know, and, um, you know, plays. Very, very interesting plays. So Audible's great, yeah. Yeah, okay. And I, I suppose kind of drawing, drawing to a close, um, where, where do you see kind of growth potential in in the kind of coming uh, obviously we're in the middle of the pandemic we don't know how long this thing is going to last but there will become a day where either you know the world returns to normal and accepts that covid is a risk or you know the thing dies down and and you know yeah. disappears like it was never around uh, my view is that fundamentally society has changed i think that we'll probably be more home focused um even even when things return back to normal i don't think everyone will be wanting to be in the office five days a week as as we as we probably were as a as as a, as a nation historically um yeah where, where do you see where do you see the, the growth potential where do you see opportunity well i think it's a great thing this working from home um bust up the, 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 what's happened to change what basically was perceived as normal mm. going to the office sitting there on a desk doing what you could do at home um but equally there's a lot that you miss from that. So yeah. I think personally, I think it's going to open up. I think everybody probably agrees with this. A hybrid model is what's going to happen. Mm. And I know that we will operate that. That's what I'm keen to have is an office where we go. People can go two days a week, three days a week, almost up to them within reason. Uh, and then work from home the same because you have to meet your colleagues. You have to meet people. You have to go out and sit in coffee shops. You have to, no spontaneity occurs sitting at home. No, no serendipity. I think nothing, most of the things that happened to me in my life, none of it would have happened probably, you know, because you can't do it sitting at home. You have to get out there. So I hope that, you know, there's going to be real, the hybrid model will take place and London will get back to, the wonderful city that it is but not in the same way i agree the sea change will have occurred but there will be people i mean everybody loves the buzz of london and i don't think we want to give up on that mm -hmm. you know going to london meeting people going for a drink after work going to the coffee shop whatever it is people love that and that will come back i'm, I'm absolutely convinced they will come back mm -hmm. uh, but in a slightly different way as far as in, investments and startups and all the rest of it you know anything that is the more and more, you know, we've seen a real uh, speeding up of everything to do with online everything, you know. I, there's a startup that, um, there's a number of startups that have really done well as a result of COVID, you know, and have accelerated their growth far beyond what they would have done. And they're yeah. all to do with the obvious things, you know, with remote anything, you know, healthcare, medtech you know, testing at home, uh, diagnostics, um, all the stuff, it's obvious really, you know, uh, but I, th I also think hospitality will come back. It's tragic what's happened. I know. Again, we need it. Humans are social animals. Mm. I think in about three months time, four months time, we will start to see new and very interesting ventures in that space. You know, mm. I really do. I, I can't see that we're suddenly going to become sitting at home hermits, you know, it won't be the case. We're not, we're social and human beings, you know, so, but I think there are change, you know, and we'll even invest in travel again. We didn't invest in any travel tech companies in this period. They've gone into hibernation generally, but they'll come out the other side. Mm. People will get back to that and they'll be stronger. The entrepreneurs that will survive this and the government stuff is fantastic what's been put in place. I know there's been a lot of, I'm one of the critics actually of some of it, but in general, it's it's held these companies together mm. you know, that wouldn't have been held. They would not be here now without the furlough scheme or the bounce back loan scheme, mm. you know, to name two of them. But they will come out the other side, hopefully. In a way, it's a test. Those that, <laughs> any companies, I say, if you've gone out of business during COVID, I'm sorry, you deserve it. <laughs> really harsh words, it. words but it's true. It's harsh words because the government put in all the schemes to keep you in business mm. furloughed everybody or take the loan and you should come out the other side i know i'll put this maybe harsh words on some i agree 
there's going to be exceptions to that, of course, and particularly in hospitality. Yeah. But in general, if you're certainly if you were a startup in our world, mm. if none of our startups have gone bust as a result of COVID, I mean, no. we've got 200 plus, none of them, because they won't. And those that will come out because of the government, those that come out the other side stronger are going to be so much better for it. Mm. And the number of them have done so well during, as I said. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with the sentiment. I think that, yeah, there's 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 real opportunity. And, you know, I've personally spent particularly the first lockdown building websites for all kind of weird and wonderful things. Yeah. Um, so getting back to basics and getting, you know, getting my proverbial fingers in the fingers and toes in the water but yeah. um yeah so I, th I think for me that's everything is there any last last kind of closing comments or anything else you'd like to talk about or add only that i think um it, it, i'm very optimistic about the startup world and the startup space and very optimistic that this is a great opportunity for people to get into that if yeah. they haven't done before take this opportunity now because this is a one in a lifetime opportunity. It's terrible on the one hand, on the other hand, out of bad things, good things come. And that's what will happen here. There'll be some great companies started in 2020 and 2021. I'm absolutely convinced about it. We'll look back in 10 years time and say, when were you formed then? Megastar company, 2021, 2020. Okay. No, I agree. I agree. It's it, yeah. It's it's good to hear, and it, you know, part of part of going through this process of interviewing different people is actually it just inspires me. It makes me want to go and do some stuff, you know. So yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I think that's uh, an important part yeah, of of absolutely. the process. We all need that as well at the moment. People yeah. do need to be inspired and and see the optimistic side because it is, you know, it's very true that it's a, it's a you know this is a an event. It's not everything. <laughs> no. It's an event. And yeah. we have to come out of it like the financial crisis. I know it's disastrous, but we come out the other side. Yeah. Some wise words. Um, yeah, good. And, and in terms of your uh, social media presence and online profile and all that stuff, do you, do you use Instagram, um, YouTube? Um, I know you've got website and stuff. How, how, how do people find you? Yeah, we use, of course, we use LinkedIn, of course, for very much is very important because uh, it's the business community. Yeah. Um, we do use everything else as a company. Yeah. Um, I personally don't really, I use Twitter and LinkedIn personally. Are those, those are the two places I will look. Sure. Uh, more than anywhere. Um, but there's a company we use all of them. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so and that's SFC Capital or Startup SFC Funding Capital. Club. Yeah. yeah. SF, our website is sfccapital.com. Yeah. We were known and we still use the Startup Funding Club name for one of the funds, but we were we're phasing it out, but you know, it's 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 still what we the essence of what we are is startup funding. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, Thank you for your time. Thank you for joining me. Um, as, as I kind of mentioned earlier on, it's, it's really great to see how your business has evolved over the years. And oh, I'm, well, you, I'm, you were there at the beginning with us, weren't you? Well, I'm, I'm proud, to, proud to see your achievements. Yeah. It's, it's a nice yeah, thing to great. see. So, yeah, well done. And uh, yeah, good. Well, thank you for your time, right. Stephen. And uh, look forward to speaking soon. Great, great pleasure, Matt. Great to see you. You take right. care. Yeah, cheers. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Growth Show with Matt Lenzi. Please like our podcast and subscribe today.